What number are we thinking of? 69, dudes! Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome into episode 69 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. And Doug, it's uh, been another eventful week for the Canucks. Let's take it right into the game play. Canucks started the first of a two-game set against the Montreal Canadiens with a 3-2 overtime win. JT Miller had an absolutely outrageous goal in overtime to win it for the Canucks. Thatcher Demko recorded 29 saves in the victory. Canucks lose to the Habs in a shootout. It was the Habs' first win after regulation in 10 tries, which is interesting. I also thought it was interesting that Horvat scored 22 seconds into the period, and then 33 seconds later, Tyler Mott scored. A little bit of channeling the inner Sedins. Overall, not a bad game. Uh, pretty entertaining, but I'll take the loser point, I guess. And in the first of a mini two-game set with the Winnipeg Jets, the Canucks were shut out 4 nothing. Not too many bright spots for the Canucks in this game. Call the cops. He puts in four against the Canucks. Another, man, I, I just, I hate playing the Jets. That's all I can really say. It's, it's just, I thank God Hoglander broke the shutout. But, man, I'm glad we only have them twice more because the Jets-Canucks games are just, just snoozers. Yeah, the Jets, for whatever reason, they've had our number for a few years now. I think there was a stat heading into this year. I don't think the Canucks had won a game since the Jets had returned in Winnipeg in regulation. I think there was, like, dating back to when the Jets finally came back to Winnipeg. I don't think they had won a game in that building since. In regulation, that is. Yeah, they've, uh, they're, I think they're now three wins in their last 21 overall against the Jets as well. I did a little digging after we got shut out uh, the other game, and Canucks have been shut out by the Jets six times in five years, and the first and last time were both March 22nd. How weird is that? That is weird. Wow, that's uh, that's spooky, dude. You could call that Pete's random stat of the week right there. Anyways, folks, welcome into the episode. We got a lot to talk about today, not just Canucks stuff. There's a lot of stuff around the league that we're going to be touching on. But first of all, Doug, how's things in your neck of the woods? How's how's that dog over there? I, I, I've heard little bits of her, and I know she's giving you the stare down. Yeah, she's running around the apartment right now. Uh, Grace and I did like a big like spring cleaning over the weekend, and we like packed all her toys in her little toy box in the closet, and then... The last, literally the last like two days, she has literally pulled every single toy out of the toy box. Um, I fed her an hour early. I just took her out. Uh, You know, she did her business outside, uh, number one and number two, and she's still going crazy. She's still running, bringing me a toy every time, wanting me to play. Uh, Yeah, she's, she's a terror. I think she just gets jealous that you're giving attention to something else and uh, she can't quite figure out what it is. Yeah, I mean, I guess she doesn't like me uh, paying attention to inanimate objects like my microphone or uh, the laptop screen. Yeah, don't leave that on the floor. It, she'll she'll destroy that in a heartbeat. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore Gas. The podcast is at Canucks Speak. Uh, give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. And as always, Pete and I are building this ever-growing outro playlist. It's the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist on Spotify. Be sure to give that a follow. Check out the funky jams that are uh, being added every week. And uh, yeah, there'll be a new one added at the end of this episode. Stay tuned. I've got lots of ideas for funky jams. I was down at Beat Street the other day, and they got this huge shipment in of of hip-hop 12 inches. And I was just going through there and found a couple of great ones. But man, it gives me all, all sorts of ideas for some good outro tracks to add to that over the next couple of weeks. Nice. I'm looking forward to it. All sorts of stuff from Nos to the Fresh Prince. I got some. I got some good ones in there. I gotta say, old school Will Smith, not like you know his like cheesy poppy like Wicka Wild, Wicka Wicka Wild West stuff, but his old school with uh, Jazzy Jeff. Man, he was he was awesome, dude. Uh, and Jazzy Jeff is still awesome. I, I recommend a follow on Instagram out there. He does a lot of live sets out there. The the house parties with Jazzy Jeff and. Man, the guy's just an incredible DJ. Incredible. Yeah, uh, I haven't seen any of his like stuff that he's doing recently, but uh, I know. Yeah, he is in in a lot of hip hop circles. He is like 
known as like a major big time uh, underground DJ. Yeah, he's incredible. His transitions, uh, just everything about him. Uh, big fan of Jazzy Jeff. And yeah, the old, some of the old stuff with Fresh Prince was a little goofy. Um, I picked up a uh, single for Summertime, which had a couple of really cool remixes on it I'd never heard before. So for me, that's going to be getting a lot of airplay over the next couple months. I, I love that track with a little Cool in the Gang sample in there. Love it. Nice. What was the track he did that was like a Freddy Cougar Nightmare on My Street. I have that as well. I found that in a, for three bucks in a bin in Montreal one time. I was like, well, I got to get that. That'll get that gets airplay on Halloween over here. Over here, I, I do kind of like that one, but that's goofy, <laughs> fresh print still. It is. You're right. I think you're going to want to hear this. Uh, no, I'm just playing. I'm, I'm having fun here at the hockey game. Well, Doug, let's uh, let's get into around the room because there is a lot to talk about this week, and I'm trying to figure out where to even start. But let's start with the Tim Peel situation with the NHL because that was a pretty big story, and I have, as you know, I've I've had a lot of issues with the officiating in the NHL, and it just felt like this year it's been worse than other years. I know it's always been very subjective, and that drives me nuts. And uh, I've I've long been preaching to bring in international standards to games in the NHL. It was only a matter of time, with especially with quiet stadiums, that something like this happened. Do you think, though, that this is actually going to result in any significant change in the way games are officiated? Uh, I mean, watching the game last night, I would say no. <laughs> um. Look, I think it's one of those things like all the fans have known that this is a thing for years. You and I have talked on this podcast about it for pretty much since the inception of this podcast. We're on what? Episode 69? Uh, 69, dude. I feel like I feel like since episode one, we've been talking about this. Uh, shout out to our friend Andy Watt on Twitter because he said, hey, I you, I remember you guys brought this up like four or five episodes ago. So uh, shout out to Andy for that. Um, yeah, like I'm not surprised. And obviously the one thing that has really been hitting home for a lot of Canucks fans is, uh, the Alex Burrow, Stefan Ogier thing that happened, I think it was back in 2010. Um, and how Burrow said at the beginning of the game, he came up to him and said that, you know, he was gonna, he didn't appreciate that. He thought Burroughs was faking an injury in a, in a game earlier in that year that he had refed, and he was going to make sure that, you know, he, uh, punished Burroughs for that because he felt like it made him look like an idiot and you know you back then that was what 11 years ago now back then that was happening and everyone didn't well I shouldn't say I mean Canucks fans I think believe Burroughs but everyone around the league didn't believe Burroughs I remember Ron McLean went on Hockey Night in Canada and said some crap about Burroughs which I thought was totally uncalled for and unjust I don't think Burroughs was the type of guy I know he played on the edge and he was considered to be a pest but I do think he is a guy that you know respects the game and you know I don't think anyone really thought that he was making that up um but yeah like I I can't say I'm surprised well, and, uh, and you talk about the the OJ incident, but even bigger than that, in my opinion, was the 2011 finals when he, the refs just put the whistles away. And even before that, with uh, the Bruins and Lightning, when the the game seven of that series and there was no power plays and Tampa Bay had the hottest power play in the league. Like for me, if a team is that much better than another team at five on five or a power play, they shouldn't be getting punished for that. I mean, if they're a better team, they're a better team. That's that's just the nature of the game. But this whole idea of even up calls or makeup calls, like, oh, team's down by three, so the whistles go away uh, for the other team. Like, it's just, I don't like that. It's a, And this is going to be a bigger issue going forward, I, I feel. I, this, I think this could be the tip of something. I think it's going to be a slow process. But with gambling and sports getting bigger and bigger in every pro sports league, there's going to be a lot more eyes on the officials and whether they are directly having an outcome on games. And I know no sport is perfect, and I've gone through the other sports with this before, but they are more consistent. NFL, they call penalties. It's the same. They're pretty consistent. Yeah, they miss a couple, but 
generally, there's no such thing as a makeup call there. A penalty is a penalty. Strike zone will stay the same for the whole game. And, and again, granted, they differ from umpire to umpire, but you know it, what the strike zone is. And there have been times in the past, especially in World Series, where all of a sudden the strike zone gets really big. But, you know, that's just one of those variables, but at least it's a constant for that game variable nba and and i know i've gone on about the nba before and how some things like basic rules of the game like traveling and double dribble don't seem to get called as much but they've gotten a lot better in terms of consistency and calling things every time they happen and again they're not really looking at the scoreboard the nhl is the only one of the big four where the scoreboard comes into play and affects what the refs are doing. And for me, this is going to be a bigger problem with more and more sports gambling taking place across North America. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think the gambling thing is is a really big deal. And that's why I think the NHL acted so swiftly with uh, Tim Peel as they did. I mean, it also doesn't hurt the fact that he was scheduled to be retiring in a month or two's time. He wasn't slated to be doing any playoff games this year. He was on the, his way out the door. I'm sure he still got his full set, his full salary for the remainder of the year, and I'm sure he's going to get a bit of a severance package as well. Um, that's why you're not really hearing him push back because, again, I think this this is a thing that's been happening in hockey for years. And, you know, I'm sure the NHL doesn't want him to come out and say that. But, you know, this is sort of the way the NHL has wanted it I, I to a certain degree. I look back at baseball during the home run derby and, you know, during the Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa home run derby, you know, there were reporters in Mark McGuire's locker seeing that he had Andro on the shelf, which, you know, was... I don't know if it was a well technically no steroids were banned at that time in baseball. That's the other thing that's kind of ridiculous. Steroids technically weren't illegal in baseball. And baseball guaranteed they knew it was an issue, but they turned a blind eye because they were coming out of that strike which crippled baseball. People weren't going to games anymore. People were sick and tired of the players making all that money and then, you know, walking out and so that they were trying to figure out how to get the fans back. And that home run derby or that home run chase between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa did bring a lot of fans back. Everyone remembers those those uh, commercials from the 90s with Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin. You know, chicks dig the long ball, right? Uh, and that's essentially what got a lot of fans back into baseball. And I think with hockey, they are wanting to get into the kind of like a bigger market with, you know, obviously the ESPN deal was finalized. Um and gambling is getting bigger and bigger in the U.S., especially now that it's legal pretty much across all the states. Before, it was limited to a handful of states. Now, you know, gambling on sports is legal pretty much in every state in the U.S. One thing that I am looking forward to is, like, the injury reports, because that is one thing that you have to give the NFL credit, and that is because there is so much gambling on it, is with these injury reports, you get everything, right? You know exactly what's wrong with this player. Oh, he's got turf toe. He's got a dislocated finger. In the NHL, it's like, oh, he's got an upper body injury. Petey's out, been out of the lineup for nearly a month now, and all we know is it's an upper body injury. That's it. I thought, and I had heard it was a concussion. Last episode, you said you heard it was a wrist. Um, it does sound like yeah, it's wrist. It's uh, I've heard it from a few okay. people. It does sound like it's a wrist injury. Fair enough. But I think the NHL, yeah, needs to take a long look, hard, a long look in the mirror at themselves. And especially now that they're going to be getting national attention again in the U.S. by being back on ESPN, they can't have this. And, you know, I do... <sighs> I don't want to give the NHL too much credit, but I will give them a little bit of credit. The fact that they did act as swiftly as they did with the OJ thing. Um, but the Peel thing? I, or sorry, with the Peel thing. Pardon me. Yes. Uh, but, you know, that being said, like, I guarantee this is a, this been an issue in the NHL for years and years and years. No love for Barry Bonds in that home run derby? Well, he wasn't. The, the, the year that it really brought the fans back, that wasn't Bonds. Bonds broke... What was McGuire's record, who broke Roger Maris's record, a couple of years after it, right? But that year that really brought fans back to the field and to the game was the year Sosa and McGuire were going head-to-head. It was about two years later that Bonds came and broke the record. I think he hit 74 that year, and I believe McGuire, because the, the original record was 61 by Roger Maris, and then McGuire broke it. Sosa broke it as well. I think McGuire ended that year with 67 home runs. I could be wrong. And I think Sosa ended it with 64. 
And then Bonds came and broke it, I think, with 72 or 73 a few years later. Uh, 73, 73 for Bonds, 2001. Yeah, Maguire and Sosa, that battle was 1998. And uh, Maguire, again in 99, also uh, topped what Roger Maris had. And Sosa did it a couple times as well. It's pretty crazy. And it, I mean, Giancarlo Stanton in 2017 hit 59. That's uh, that's pretty amazing as well. Um, I, one thing as well with, uh, with, with Peel is I've heard he's a good guy, and I'm sure he is. And I'm sure it's just this whole... Yeah, it's the way that they're told to ref games as well. Um, it's going to be curious to see what Ron McLean says about it on a hockey night this week. I'm curious to see what sort of tangent he goes off on. Yeah, well, the other thing too, like, I mean, Peel said that, uh, I forget the other ref's name that he was refing the game with. Sutherland, wasn't it? Kelly Sutherland, I believe is who the other ref was uh, that Peel was uh, refing that game with. Anyways... He said it so nonchalantly to him, as if like, oh yeah, like I wanted to make sure I got a penalty against the the Predators early this game. It was just like it, it was like this is like normal conversation between refs game to game. So hopefully this does kind of like set a precedence moving forward, you know, for the refs to call the game as it happens, as opposed to how they think it should be happening. Yeah, and again, that's where international officiating is great. It's a penalty is a penalty at any point in the game. You could be down eight nothing, you slash a guy. That's a penalty. And I do think if that came into the NHL, if they were more stringent with it, there would be certainly a large amount of penalties to start. But it would start to dissipate over time, and you would see a better flow to the whole game if uh if a lot of the stuff disappeared it would it would there would be certainly a period where teams are getting seven to nine power plays a game and that could go on for half a season or a full season but in the long run it would be better for the game so i would like to see international officiating in the nhl the other big news out of the nhl was the changes to the draft lottery and this is something as well that I know a lot of fans have been clamoring for. The draft lottery has just never felt right. And, I mean, of course, we're over here in Vancouver, and we have we always feel like we we get screwed. And, I mean, fortunately, the last couple of times we got screwed, we ended up with Petey and Hughes. So it kind of worked out. But, I mean, we fall the maximum amount of spots. So the maximum amount of spots you can now fall has been reduced from three to two. So that's important. The amount of teams that can win the lottery is dropped from 16 to 11, and no team can win it more than twice in a five-year period. Now, that last one, I'm, I'm kind of whatever with that. I, I mean, that's probably because of the Oilers, but, uh, you know, whatever. If a team is as that bad and needs help, I'd, I'd be okay with them getting more, and I'm not quite sure how that would work if you are the worst team again and you've already had two firsts in the last four years. Does it just mean you're guaranteed to pick from two to four, I guess? But... I like the other changes. I like the only falling two spots. So if you're dead last, you don't pick later than third. I think that's good. And I also like that they've shortened the amount of teams that can actually win the lottery. Because if you just miss the playoffs by a point, I don't think you should have any shot at the first overall pick. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the times there are teams that are buyers at the trade deadline. They're selling off assets to try to make that playoff push and they fall just short and then they end up with the first overall pick uh the one question i do have though is like winning the draft lottery well technically if you move to the second spot is that winning the draft lottery as well does that count as one of the two times you can win it in five years or do you have to win the number one overall pick in order for that uh two times in five years to count number two is the first loser you got to win it Hey, well, but technically, I mean, if you if you if you were slated to draft ninth overall and you jump up to the second pick, I mean, that's a win, right? Well, no, a win is to win the draft lottery. It's first overall. Okay, well, yeah, I, I do like the changes. I do think it was needed. I mean, I've heard people throw this out there, and I think you and I have actually discussed this on the podcast. Um, of you know, what if every year? This team gets the first overall pick, regardless of standings. And then you have a draft lottery for every other team after that. So, you know, essentially every 32 years, a team will have the first overall pick. Um, I, I know the NHL, they want parity in their league. I would assume that would help with some teams and it would probably stack other teams. Just depends on how that cycle is going for that team when they ended up with the first overall pick. Um, it does take some of the like the aura and mystique of the draft lottery away because I, I mean, even though 
as a Canucks fan, you know, we've been consistently and constantly disappointed. Literally from the moment the Canucks existed in 1970 and we had a draft lottery against the lowly Buffalo Sabres, the Canucks still came out as the losers and we missed out on Gilbert Perrault, a perennial uh, well, not a perennial. He is a Hall of Famer, you know, perennial greatest, you know, top 50 player of all time. And there was a lot of confusion at that draft, too. And it sounded like the Canucks actually had that pick. But no, I, I'm not a fan of the 32 year cycle thing. There'd just be too many times where a good team gets the first overall pick and it would be a generational player. I think it should be awarded towards the worst teams. Um, I'm not even completely against just removing the draft lottery. I mean, I know there's fears of tanking, but I don't know if athletes are really wired that way. I really don't. I mean, that would be come down more to management and maybe you could look at it into it if it feels like a team is tanking. I mean, is Buffalo tanking right now? They're just they're stinking. But I, I guarantee you those players are, are, are trying to win. Uh, so I guess the I, shortening the lottery and making uh, the teams that are right at the bottom, giving them basically the, the three worst teams in the league now will all be picking in the top five. And uh, I think I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, I do like the changes. I, I do think it'll uh, it'll give more balance to the draft lottery. And, you know, there are teams that year after year are finishing at the bottom of the league and they like Detroit Detroit's been one of the worst teams for the, in the NHL for the last what four or five years and you know they got you know really screwed last year I felt like with the draft lottery they fell as far back as they possibly could I believe they fell three spots back to the fourth overall pick I mean they still got a good player um but yeah you want to see these teams that are at the bottom of the league, you know, being able to restock the cupboard and become competitive sooner rather than later. Yeah, for sure. And I know, like, uh, especially looking at with the the Canucks uh, this year, and we'll talk about this more later. But there's a the Canucks. I feel could be in the draft lottery discussion one way or another, and I would like to see their fortunes turn around one of these days. And again, you, you talk about Detroit, but teams like Ottawa and Jersey as well, like some of these retooling teams. Ottawa last year, too, they had uh, two shots at the number one pick and they, they didn't quite get it. And they, they did quite well with that draft as well. They did. They they're pretty happy with who they walked away with. But I, I, I like these changes. I think it's better. And I really like that they've shortened it so only 11 teams can win the draft as opposed to 16. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I remember, was it last year during the draft lottery? Wasn't it Toronto's ball had gone up the tube and then for whatever reason got knocked down and then the Rangers came up? But you imagine, I know, but I I know Lafreniere's struggled, you know, quite mightily this, his rookie campaign. But can you imagine if the Leafs ended up with Lafreniere this year? I mean, Jesus. And uh, speaking of the Leafs and the Scotia North Division, we now have our first games postponed due to COVID. And it's, you know, it's, I thought we were going to make it the whole way. Uh, cases in Canada, of course, we're now, it looks like a third wave and just like, oh God, here we go again. But it, it, it finally happened. A couple of players on the Habs test positive, games postponed. Uh, again, a testament that, to the North and to Canada that we made it this far. Um, what do you think of this? And also, what do you think of the federal government making changes to allow only seven day quarantines for NHLers should they be coming across the border? Um, yeah, I'll start with the, I guess, you know, the positive test of players on Canadian teams. I mean, it's to be expected, right? Like I agree, you know, it was pretty impressive that we were able to go this far without a positive test on any of the Canadian teams. I, I, since the season started, I know there was a positive test in training camp for a lot of teams and a lot of players. I believe Jordy Ben tested positive, and obviously uh, JT Miller had close contact to Ben. So I don't know if he actually ever tested positive, but he had to isolate for, I believe it was 10 days or something like that. Um, yeah, it's to be expected. I do think there's going to be some changes to the scheduling. I mean, the Canucks have now played their last game against the Canadians, so they're not going to have to play to the Canadians uh, again this year. But obviously, other games are going to be postponed and pushed back. The Canucks, I believe, are on a five- or six-day break now, but who knows because some of those games could be postponed a little bit later. Um, but it's to be expected. As far as the federal government government making certain changes to the uh, I guess players being traded from American teams to Canadian teams. 
Yeah, look, I get why general citizens of Canada could be upset with that and think it's preferential treatment. I will say this. I do think that, like, they know that those players are going to be in controlled environments and they're not going to risk being irresponsible um, in those situations. Uh, There's also work permits and work visas that are tied to these players and they don't want to jeopardize their income and stuff like that. Um, So... Yeah, I I get why some people might be upset by it, but I do understand that you know this isn't a this is a controlled environment, and that these players, in theory, won't be stepping out of line or having massive house parties or doing stupid things like that, ordering a hundred cheeseburgers to the stadium or anything like that. The other thing with these players is that they get tested very regularly. So it, there is a lot more tracking. I mean, I've, I have yet to have a COVID test, but I, I know that these guys, it's, it's a regular occurrence for NHL, well, all pro sports players right now to, to be getting tested all the time. Yeah, and that's a good point as well, is they're being tested daily, sometimes multiple times a day. I mean, the Canucks are lucky. They came out of that Montreal, that little two-game set with Montreal. It was, I believe, the next game, the positive cases for the Montreal players came out, and none of the Canucks tested positive. So that's good. But yeah, that that, that is another good point, that you know they are being tested on the regular, and you, you know if someone did test positive, they don't have to worry or babysit them and ensure that they are properly quarantining or self-isolating like they are with the general public. No COVID tests, so we had to play two games against the Jets. So uh, I guess pick your poison, right? I guess... That's uh, neither neither one is a very good option these days. <laughs> Last yeah. lastly, big uh, big news in the local market today. Big changes going on over at Sportsnet 650, and we're seeing uh, right across the board a lot of these uh, TSN 1040 guys are are getting new life. Um, you got Halford and Bruff now joining Sportsnet in the mornings. Of course, we've seen Taylor and Dollywall got their show going up. Uh, J Pad is all over the place right now. We're doing we're doing gigs with uh, Rob Fay and and the, the van cast and uh, uh, he'll be doing some stuff on the air as well again it's uh Sakaris and Price started their show up again uh, kind of like in a podcast form but I think there's more to come and they're planning to broadcast it in new ways as well mm-hmm. yeah it's pretty cool like uh it, it's it's a very passionate sports market here as well and it, it is interesting to kind of see the different avenues and format like Rob Faye's nation program is, is really interesting the way he's doing that. Um, it was great to see Taylor and, and Dollywell get a, a morning show as well on TV. And, uh, anyways, uh, with, with Sportsnet, uh, I know you are a big 1040 fan and what do you think of these moves? Yeah. I mean, look, at first I want to preface like, like most people, I think that have a heart, you don't want to see anybody lose their job. Right. Uh, there was three personalities uh, on Sportsnet that lost their jobs today. Uh, Walker, uh, Perry Silkowski, and James Sobolski. Um Sobolski and um, Sulkowski. Uh, that's hard to say back-to-back, I got to say. It is. <laughs> um, they were the hosts of the morning show. And since 1040 uh, shut down, I started listening to the 650 morning show. But I was a staunch... 1040 morning show guy love Helford and Bruff I like their personalities they remind me of like fans you know they're you know they can be kind of negative at times but not unreasonably negative uh, I you know I think they both want the Canucks to succeed and they both want them to win so I really missed listening to those guys in the morning um, you know my morning routine I wake up usually around 5 30 have a shower six o'clock I turn my radio on on six my phone o'clock. Oh, geez. Oh yeah, you're 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 a working man. I'm not these days. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, technically you're on vacation. You're technically yes. not not working yet. Yes, that's true. <laughs> so this is still vacation time for you. But anyways, uh, yeah. So six o'clock, I I uh, fire up the uh, radio on my phone and I listen to uh, the morning shows. Uh, and so obviously once the ten forty shutdown happened, I started listening to the six fifty show. And again, nothing against those guys. I just I. I didn't like it. I just found it really cheesy and like really try hardy. And I don't mean that like to be mean or insulting because that's not who I am. That's just my own personal opinion. It was just very try hard. Like you ever watch the show, the league? Oh yeah. 
it reminded me, you know, the character Andre from the league. <laughs> yes, it kind of yeah. reminded me of like him, but hosting like a morning show and just trying really hard and just like being a little too like over the top and cheesy. So for me, it wasn't my jam, but I was still listening to it and I was still giving it a, a chance every time. Um, but for me and my own personal listening pleasures, I am glad that Helford and Bruff are going to be back on the morning show. It sucks that Sabalski and Salkowski lost their jobs because of it. Um, but I am really happy because I think there's a lot of uh, 650 fans that maybe never listened to their morning show that I think will really, really dig it. Um, so I'm happy for that. Um, Walker, to me, you know, by all accounts, I think the people that knew Walker, and shout out to Luke the bartender, he had a really nice, uh, thoughtful thread about um Walker and just how he knew him on a personal level and the guy you hear on the radio isn't really who he is in real life. Um, but I think that was one of the things that I think a lot of people that rubbed them the wrong way with Walker is that he just he would pretend to be this kind of like wrestling heel, you know, persona on on the radio. Um, and you know that to his credit, that's why he's been successful and that's why he has been in the industry across Canada for as long as he's had, as he has been. Um, but I think it did rub a lot of the fans the wrong way. But even then, having a voice that pushes back on certain narratives, I think is good. You know, a guy I always like, and I know a lot of people don't, and he rubs them the wrong way, but a guy I used to like is is Dave Pratt. And Walker has a little bit of Prattisms in him, in my opinion. Um I didn't appreciate Walker insulting the fan base like he would and like he did from time to time, but I'm sure on a personal level, he is a really, really good dude, but it's just that kind of, again, going back to this like fake persona, this like radio persona, you know, why not just be yourself and just, you know, put your own, you know, actual ideas and thoughts out there. Not saying that any of his opinions weren't his own, but yeah, that's just sort of my take on the whole situation. Sucks for those guys losing their jobs, but I do think the programming ahead, at least for my listening pleasures, will be more enjoyable. Well, sometimes being here yourself doesn't always sell. I do think the market changed when 1040 went off the air. You had a lot of 1040 listeners who were used to a certain format and style, and they did switch over to 650. And I'm curious if there was polling or just feedback or what they did, but I'm sure that the information coming in from a lot of people was like, you guys aren't as good as 1040 was or you're not the same product and i think this is kind of a, a good way to bridge in between i know Rintoul is going to keep his show right after as well um and i can't remember who he's co-hosting it with now but um uh, the, the, i think karen sermon i believe right who uh, used to be a producer on uh the morning show in 1040 back in the day when it was the uh, bro Jake and Pratt show and she she's she's great as well she covers uh Lions games uh last year for 1040 so I, I'm really happy for her and you know she's getting another chance to uh get an actual full-time gig as a radio personality uh congratulations to Bick Nazar now he's got a full-time gig on the radio as well which is great and you know I think most fans in this market love Satyar Shah he's still gonna you know be on there and you know uh Riccio and um Randeep Randeep pardon me thank you uh you know they're 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 still have their show as well so I've never not liked 650 in its entirety there were just certain segments just like 1040 there were certain certain hosts on 1040 I wasn't a big fan of and I never listened to myself and it was the same thing for 650 I think it was it was just inevitable with uh, the landscape of this city and the passion of this city, and it, you've got this new amalgamation of of two radio stations' personalities. I, again, like Vancouver, it's it's such a unique market. There there are so many voices out there. There's so many podcasts. There's so many YouTube videos. There's so many fan websites. There's so many writers. It's it's a glutton, and and we're just a little voice in this just absolute sea of it but i love that there are so many passionate fans and personalities from a wide range of backgrounds from across the province from across vancouver from across canada and it's something that again and i know i've said this before i think a lot of canucks fans take it for granted just the diversity that we get from all 
forms of platforms from different genders, from different races, from different age groups, from different backgrounds. Like, it's pretty cool. There's enough stuff out there that you can pick your poison. You're like, I like these guys, but I don't like these guys. I like this website, but not that. I like these Twitter guys, and these guys are all blocked. And it, it causes a lot of drama in the marketplace. And uh, we know there's a lot, a lot of people outside Vancouver and Toronto and Barstool and other places that look at us and be like, you know, these guys are fucked. Yeah, uh, I mean, one thing that I think most Canucks fans and, you know, fans in this market of sports teams in general, I mean, the Lions fans are very passionate in this market, as are the Whitecaps fans, is, you know, Vancouver is a very diverse and passionate fan base, no matter what team they're supporting. And I think one of the things that really upset a lot of the fans in in this market is the fact that, you know, they felt once 1040 shut down that there was a certain voice in the market that was no longer being heard or, you know, was no longer being out there. And I think that it hurt, I you know, upset a lot of the fans. And I, I totally understand that. Uh, I, I definitely think still to this day that, you know, Vancouver should have two sports talk uh, out media outlets in the city because it can easily handle it. I think there's definitely a fan base for both uh, sports talk stations, whether whether that was TSN or Sportsnet or, you know, if there's a independent sports talk radio show that comes up. And, you know, like you said, I mean, I'd like to know per capita the amount of Canucks podcasts there are compared to any other NHL team podcasts. I would assume the Canucks are at the top of the heap it's, it's with a, that. It's a lot, I'm sure. And, and same with writers. And everything else. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it is a passionate market. I still see Vancouver voodoo shirts getting uh, sported uh, around town on on occasion. (laughs) That's a that's a flashback to the early 90s. Hey, you mentioned uh, earlier. I just made a note of this here. You mentioned uh, the whole heel character. um, And that's uh, what some personalities like to play. Just quickly, uh, who's your ultimate wrestling heel? Because when I think of heel, I, I always think of wrestlers. Who, who for you is like the, the your best or your favorite heel of all time? Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, honestly, this isn't. This might be a little like deep dive. Technically, this guy wasn't a wrestler, but I would say Bobby the Brain Heenan. <laughs> he wasn't a wrestler. That's he was a, a manager. I, I look, man. I think he was one of the best heels ever. Ever to play the game. You know what I mean? Uh, Technically not a wrestler. I'm sure he did some wrestling way back in the day. But for me, Bobby the Brain Heenan, the greatest heel of all time. I know Ric Flair's up there as well. But Flair's like almost like that beloved heel. Not that guy that people really don't like. Well, Flair is right up there. Also, um, I, I watched the Ric Flair uh, 30 for 30 this week. It is excellent. Uh, really, really you good. You had never seen it before. It's it's really good. No, I hadn't seen that one before. Really good. Ric Flair and uh, Triple H were the two that came to mind for me. But I know they are both beloved characters, but they just played that part so damn well. But uh, Bobby the Brain, I like that. That goes back to my Saturday morning wrestling days. There's no wrestling on Saturday mornings anymore. At least I don't think there is. Lots of stuff, like we said, to talk about around the league. It's been a a busy week. Let's talk a little bit more about the Canucks here. Um, And I I guess the best place to start right now, we have 19 games left. Montreal is ahead of us by two points, but they got six, six games in hand. And I know that they're going to use a few of those up while the Canucks are on this break here. But let's just talk playoffs. But they're not going to use up those games, Pete, because oh, right. those games are suspended. Well, three of them were suspended, and maybe maybe some more will be as well. But uh, it, it, regardless, they got six in hand on us. So what do you think? I, I mean, I know you look at the standings. You just look at the points. Canucks are right in it. When you get into the games played and the fact that everyone in the division is playing each other, so points are going into the division every game. It, and also with just with, the, the Jets games, I thought the Canucks needed to at least get to preferably three points at the minimum against those two the two Jets games, and they did they only got one goal in the two games. It, so I guess where I'm going with this is I love the Canucks. I'm always a very optimistic fan. Realistically, though, I, I it's going to be almost impossible to make the playoffs. You pretty much have to go like 15 and four down the stretch and the team you're chasing Montreal has the fewest regulation losses in the division as well so what do you think Doug is there a chance of the playoffs playoffs 
Well, mathematically, yes, technically they're still alive, so there's technically still a chance. But I don't think the Canucks are going to make the playoffs this year. Uh, injuries are starting to pile up. Uh, Horvat surprisingly played that last game after taking that shot off the ankle. Uh, Sutter's missed a game. Beagle's been out. Petey's been out nearly a month now. We've had very little update on Petey's progression, just that he's still out and he's still injured. Um, Tyler Mott made his return. Uh, but yeah, you, you can see the Canucks are starting to, uh, injuries are starting to pile up. And every team they're chasing just has too many games in hand. I don't see the Canucks making the playoffs. It's going to be... They're going to have to go on an incredible run. And even then, like you said, Pete, every other team in the division is getting points every night. So let's say Montreal starts tanking and they start losing games, you know. But then let's say Calgary also gets hot and they start getting winning games and they're back in the race. It just, it just, it, it is a monumental hill to climb for the Canucks and they don't see them doing it. Uh, you know, unfortunately for the Canucks, they don't get to play Ottawa every game. Calgary, three games in hand on the Canucks and two points behind. So that situation is a little bit better. Calgary, though, is four points back in Montreal. So they're they're in an uphill climb as well. I broke down as well who the Canucks play with these 19 games. They got five against the Oilers, four against the Leafs, Flames, and Sens, and two against the Jets. So it's it's a bit of a mix there. Uh, There's no more Montreal, as you said earlier. But, I mean, still, like, the Leafs and the Oilers and the Jets— that's 10 games right there. Sorry, 11 games of your 19 against the top three teams in the division. That's going to be pretty tough. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing you got to think is those teams are trying to load up for the playoffs, right? So they're going to be looking to add to their rosters. Um, so when those games, when you're playing those games down the stretch, you know, you got to assume that those teams would have bolstered their rosters in one way or another and added depth. Uh, right now, I just don't think the Canucks have the horses. They are very much a one one and a half line team, and if they're one their main lot line, which isn't even the lotto line at the moment because Petey's out, but the main line of um, well, I guess it's switched now, but you know it was Miller and Besser, and uh, I, I I believe they were putting Hoglander in there. Pearson, that's the other guy who's injured as well. I forgot to mention earlier. Um, yeah, if that first line isn't scoring, you're not getting many uh, many goals from your bottom six players right now. And I know VC's looked good since he's been, arrived. I think Godet's played a lot better. Luck is still impressing me game in, game out. Uh, I thought Zach McEwen's looked really, really good. And, you know, he's been on the puck and created chances, but they're just not putting the puck in the net. And I think right now that is kind of, you know, the... The, the issue with this team, they're getting the goaltending. Um, you know, Demko's been all-world as of late, but they're just not able to consistently put the puck in the back of the net. And I don't remember a game when the Canucks really just blew the doors off their opponent goal-wise. I mean, some of the guys are putting in their bottom six. So again, they're, they're useful players, but there is certainly not enough there to really say, hey, these are lines that are going to score. Guys like Tyler Grayovac, Jace Howerluck, uh, Zach McEwen. I mean, McEwen hasn't hasn't put in a lot this year, and I love McEwen. Antoine Roussel in there. Uh, Jake Furtanen is, you know, Jake Furtanen. Uh, it's just there's not enough guys when you take a team that already was reliant on a traditional top six format, and you know how I feel about that, and you take that and you take out pieces to to the pieces from there. Now you've got a banged up Horvat in there as well. It, it just really makes it hard. And again, the last two games are against the Jets, and the Jets just have a way with smothering the Canucks. It's 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 unreal just how much they they do that. I mean, the Canucks were hitting a lot of iron last night too, though they they had what like four goal posts, I think. Uh, so there is a bit of bad luck to that too. But when you have Petey and Pearson out two of your top six and you have other guys that are out, including Sutter and Beagle down the middle. And of course you still got the Justin Bailey and Michael Furland. Uh, I mean, not really even worth mentioning, but you know, he's still technically uh, another injured forward that they have. It, it just makes it really tough. And I, I, I thought Tyler G had a, he had a up and down game. I thought uh, in there, Zach McEwen had one of his better games in a while, but I think he still only has one goal on the season right now. Uh, and that's not going to get it done. Jake for Tannen, like I said, is J- Jake for Tannen. Uh, it's, 
is he going to go out the door? Is this uh, is this the end of Jake for Tannen? Yeah, I mean, there were some rumors that uh, Florida and Vancouver were talking to trade. Uh, there was a defenseman, a Finnish defenseman, uh, Vutara, Nudivara. Nudivara. Um, which, you know, I, it sounds like, you know, he had some uh, a solid few years in Columbus, and then he's just kind of been injured this year and fallen out of the depth chart in Florida since they're playing so well. Uh, I wouldn't mind that addition, but again, where does that put Ole Levy? That just slides Levy further down the depth chart. Uh, you know, I really want to see Levy start playing some games here, especially if we're going to be going down the stretch and the Canucks are out of the playoff race. Let's get some of the young guys some NHL experience. I mean, you know, Jordy Ben's been a serviceable player for the Canucks this year, but if you can flip him for a late round pick, you know, let's do it. Let's let's get some of our young guys you know that experience of playing game in game out i'm 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 really surprised i mean i'm not saying your levy was you know amazing with the limited games he played this year but i thought he equated himself very well and he definitely looks like a serviceable nhl defenseman and for whatever reason you know he hasn't played in over a month He's only played 15 games this year, and there is the argument that it, you know, Travis Hamannick, I think, has played pretty well, and Jordy Ben has played pretty well. I, I do think a lot of this right now is you have a coach who is probably playing for his job at the moment, and I do think that weighs on his decisions right now. And he's got six veteran defensemen. Well, okay, Hughes isn't a veteran defenseman. He's got Hughes and five veteran defensemen that he can put in there, and, and of course you're not going to sit Quinn Hughes. So, I mean, on for him, it's it's like, well, this is the six I'm going with. And again, for the second year in a row, amazingly, the Canucks have had a healthy blue line, which is the years before that, like, my God, we just had injuries out the wazoo on the blue line. And for two years now, a knock on wood, we've had a pretty healthy blue line. I'm still on the trade Jordy Ben camp, if you can. Um, I think uh, overall right now, I think the team has to be sellers and you know going back to Tanner Pearson there as well uh, you know interesting takes uh, by uh, I believe it was uh, Dranson uh, Harmon there about if Pearson stays on LTIR how he could actually increase his trade value because he could stay on LTIR and not get activated until later the season so teams that are right up against the cap like Tampa could use a guy like him as well and Tampa is moving out a piece as well there so they, they, they're a, a team to watch right now too as they're clearing out a little bit of space. Can you trade for a guy that's a, I guess you can trade for a guy that is an LTIR. Yeah, yeah you, you see it all the time. Yeah, uh, yeah you obviously can. That's Hosa got Hosa got traded to Arizona. Datsuk, I believe was traded to Arizona as yeah. well. Pronger, Chaika was Clarkson. Pronger, yeah, that's a good one. David Clarkson got yeah. traded. They uh it's generally one of those things that's done along with an asset to uh to just basically get them off the books one way or another. And this wouldn't be like that. This would be a different way uh, of doing things, but there's interest. I mean, I do think that, yeah, you know, Ole Olevi, I would like to see more than Olevi. I think he's been fine. He's actually a plus on the season, which is a rarity on this team. He's actually a plus three. Uh, he's got the one goal. He's only played 15 games, though, and I would like to see more. And you're right, though. If you bring in a guy like Nudivara, then, like, it, it, it does it create a bit more of a log jam back there? I know we have a few defensemen. We have three defensemen right now who are going to be UFA at the end of the year in our starting six. So there are some spaces in there, but you also got to think that Jack Rathbone is going to make a serious case to turn pro with the Canucks next year. Yeah, I mean, the left side gets really crowded really quickly, right? I mean, I know Nudavara, a lot of people said, well, he did actually play some of his best hockey on the right side, uh, kind of like what Schmidt did in Vegas. And I, he's played, uh, you know, a decent amount of the right side this year, even though he's a left-handed uh, defenseman. Um, Edler, I mean, it'll be tr- interesting to see. I don't think the Canucks would re-sign him, even if it's uh, a cheap one-year deal. I would assume this is probably Edler's last year as a Canuck. Um, I hope that Benning is proactive, unlike previous years at the trade deadline. And if he is considering, and there have been rumors out there that Edler said, you know, apparently Edler said that he would be at least willing to think about waiving his no-trade clause to go to a Stanley Cup contender, I would 
hope Benning's being proactive and actually having those discussions with Edler now as opposed to the witching hour like he did with Dan Hamuse back in, what was it, the 2016 uh, or 2015 trade deadline, whatever that fiasco was. Um, so, yeah, hopefully if that is an option and Edler would be willing to do that, uh, those conversations are happening as we speak. Um but even then, even with Edler off the roster next year, the left side is still very crowded. Like you said, I think Jack Rathbone is a guy that will definitely be pushing to make this roster next year. Uh, I know, I mean, who knows who the coach will be next year, um, but most coaches in the league now like to play their defensemen on their proper side. Schmidt can play the right side, but I think more coaches feel comfortable with that, with those defensemen on their uh, strong hand. And so I would imagine Schmidt's a guy that, you know, will eventually probably move back over to the left side. So you got Schmidt, you got Hughes, and then, you know, who's your third? You know, is it Nudavara if that trade does happen? Is it Jack Rathbone? Is it Ole Ulevi? Even without Edler, just talking it aloud, the left side's crowded. For sure. I mean, that's always the case is the right side D-man is always, there's always a bit of a premium with that. One thing I would like, I would love, and I mean, you, you can't will this, but I'd love for Edler to pop his 100th before getting traded. Uh, that would be really nice. He's been sitting at 99 since the season started. Zero goals this year. Uh, he, he's definitely lost a step out there. I, I could see the Canucks bringing him back in like a mentorship cheap deal, and I wouldn't be against that. The only thing that I don't like let's say you bring back Edler on a one-year one million dollar deal let's just say you do that the only thing I don't like is that with the kids that you mentioned on the left side I don't want that taken away ice time and then if you move Schmidt over and Rathbone gets promoted you've got you've got a log jam over there already so that's the only thing with Edler where as, as much as I like the idea of of like a one-year one million mentorship kind of deal uh, it it gets real real crowded in a hurry out there. Um, one guy we haven't really talked about is Travis Boyd uh, as well, who comes in to the team. He's another UFA, similar situation as Jimmy VC. I, I, again, I don't, I admittedly don't know a lot about this guy, but he sounds again, like a useful bottom six forward, which uh, we've gotten used to hearing those words in Vancouver over the last couple of years. He's another guy who, along with VC, and VC's played well in his four games. Has he done enough to earn a contract? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not pro or against it yet. But it's really tough to tell with this forward group again what is happening when you have so many injuries. So, the the Travis Boyd thing. I, do you think this is posturing for? for free agents or sorry, not free agents, sorry for posturing for trades or posturing for all these injuries, or is it maybe a mix of both just kind of give some more flexibility? I mean, I would assume it's a mix of both. Uh, like yourself, Pete, I don't know much about Travis Boyd. A lot of people on Twitter, uh, Tra uh, Thomas Drance, I know have said that they actually think the Travis Boyd uh, waiver claim is got a, a lot more, Upside, and I don't mean upside is in he's going to be a prolific goal scorer or point producer, but you know he'll be a lot more serviceable player for the Canucks potentially than Jimmy Vc. And I thought Jimmy Vc's played really well since he's joined the Canucks. Uh, obviously, him and JT Miller played together at the World Juniors, and they spent some time together with the Rangers. Uh, so they go back quite a few years. I do really, uh, from what all I'm hearing about Travis Boyd, I, yeah, he sounds like he's gonna he he can really help the bottom six. Uh, you know, is he maybe? An insulator, if there's a potential Sutter deal that happens, there was a report today. I think it was Mark Spector, who's a fairly reputable media member, who said that the Oilers are looking for a right shot third line center. And he listed off uh, a number of potential candidates on that list was Brandon Sutter and the going price that the Oilers apparently were willing to give up would be a fourth round pick at this point I would be willing to take a fourth round pick I'd do that I'd, and I'd also like to see uh battle of Alberta with some Sutters in there well the other thing too is like you know maybe the Canucks if they can play it properly because Daryl's back coaching 
Calgary, you know, and I, I don't, I, to me, Calgary's the one team, even though, you know, they are below the Canucks in the points, or the standings and stuff, I see them being still aggressive at this trade deadline. I see them really making a push to try to make the playoffs. So I wouldn't be surprised if they are buyers at this deadline and they try to go after a guy like Sutter. So maybe you can get the Oilers and the Flames into a bit of a bidding war for Sutter's services. You know, maybe the Oilers are offering up a fourth round pick and yeah, go back to the flames and say hey give us a third and we'll trade him to you you know uh who knows that's definitely wishful thinking on my part um so you know maybe this is planning ahead and i know benning hasn't really proven to do that a lot during his tenure here but maybe this is planning ahead for an inevitable Sutter trade where now he's got that extra center because Goddard you know he can play center and obviously I do think that's Goddard's natural position but I think Boyd just kind of insulates that spot that position a little bit more uh from what I've heard Boyd's a really good in the face-off circle um and yeah so that's kind of what I think and you know again it's a free player and it costs you nothing but money and a contract and it, it sure pissed off a lot of Leafs fans uh, as well uh, I, I like that um but one thing with Calgary as well just got me thinking about Markstrom it's worth noting that right now Thatcher Demko is ahead of Markstrom in both goals against and save percentage I think a lot of people in Vancouver are feeling pretty good nothing against Jacob Markstrom love Jacob Markstrom but uh, as as you know, as I've said before, that's a, a contract the Canucks just couldn't afford to do at six by six. Um, I, it is looking more and more like Demko. This was the right choice. He's another guy who's up at the end of the year. It's going to be interesting to see what what he goes for as well. But instead of now just talking Petey and Hughes this off season, it's we're going to be talking Petey, Hughes, and Demko, and then of course Godet and all these other free agents that they have as well. Yeah, uh, I, I, this offseason, whoever's at the helm of the Canucks during this offseason, uh, they definitely uh, have their work ahead of them. And we're not going to get into that this episode because that will take a lot of time. We'll save the offseason stuff more for the offseason, but that is certainly on every Canucks fan's mind is, is what is going to happen in the front office and behind the bench this offseason. Doug, let's, uh, let's take this into the free pour. Let's do it. It's that time of the episode. It's the free pour open floor segment. And I'm just going to jump into mine. And even though I'm not actually going to pour a dram, I'm actually going to talk about a whiskey. Um, a rye whiskey, to be exact. Uh, a, a Canadian rye whiskey. Uh, it was a whiskey I was able to pick up at a North Van liquor store uh, a few weeks back. Uh, I've only had one dram out of it, but it was absolutely amazing. It was actually named, and I know a lot of people may scoff at this because the guy is a bit of a tool, but uh, for any of you whiskey aficionados out there, you probably know who Jim Murray is. He's a bit of a douchebag, to be fair. Um, but he puts out the Whiskey Bible every year. And every year, he does his top whiskeys from America, Canada, Japan, Scotland, all over the world. And then he has his Whiskey of the Year. And last year, his Whiskey of the Year, believe it or not, was Alberta Premium Castrate. I remember this. I, my mom told me about this as well because she's a, she's a big whiskey and bourbon fan. Yeah, so I was at this, uh, I always like to, I don't know, I'm one of those guys that like likes to just go into uh, a liquor store and just see what whiskeys they have, right? I don't always purchase, but I just want to see. And so Grace and I happened to be in North Van taking the dog to the dog park, and I walked into this liquor store, and they had, I hadn't seen it before at my local liquor, liquor store, um, shout out to Legacy. Anyways, uh, they had the Alberta Premium. And I was like, holy cow, it was only like 65 bucks as well. So I, I, I quickly snagged up a bottle. Uh, we got home. And then Grace, of course, she's like, oh, you should have bought two. I'm like, oh, well, thanks for telling me now. <laughs> um, but anyways, I hadn't cracked it for about a week. And then this past weekend, I, I finally cracked it. And I, I had a dram. And man, 66%. So, you know, she's a doozy. But even beyond that, like, really strong alcohol, uh percentage there is so much depth of flavor 
And like literally, and to me, this is the one thing I love about a really, really, really good whiskey is you can actually taste it the next day. And the next day after I had that dram, I was tasting it at work. I would like, I could still taste it on my palate. So anyways, Alberta, Alberta Premium Cast Strength. If you see it at the liquor store, do yourself a favor, pick it up. Pete, you and I, not that I'm, you know, promoting drinking in public, but you and I, next time we meet up, we'll have a little, uh, a park, uh, a park foray. Uh, I'll be sure to bring the bottle and a couple of Glen Cairns for us to have some. We're, we're allowed to drink in public now, though, in, in parks at least. Uh, and I know there's several in your hood where we're, we're able to as well. But are you allowed to drink whiskey or like is it beer and wine? It's, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. I don't think I think it's just uh, yeah whatever. We'll just I don't think anyone really cares anymore. What's which again? This is one of the nicer things uh, about all this shit we've been through in the last year is a lot of loosening of some archaic liquor laws in the province. Uh, for me, I just wanted to talk about my day today. I uh, I did a spontaneous marathon today in Vancouver, and I'm pretty proud of myself for it. I've, I've done a spontaneous one before, but I, I knew I was going to run at least a 30K, and I, was, I knew I was going to see how it went, but really cool route. I went into the downtown east side and then as far west as West Bay in West Vancouver, so quite the contrast uh, of, of scenery. Uh, it was really quite windy uh, along the uh, seawalk over in West Van. I had this layer of salt on me when I got home, uh, literally peeling salt off of me, uh, which is which is kind of neat. But really cool run. It was one of those ones where coming back over the Lions Gate, I was, I was starting to really feel it. But I'm just like, ah, oh, you know, I can if I can just make this another hour or so here, I'll, I'll have uh, another marathon under my belt. So came home, cracked a beer, lay in a sunbeam for a while, and uh, and here we are. Hopefully, I, I made at least a little bit of sense today because uh, my brain is starting to fizzle out over here. What was your time? Uh, I think it was about uh, three hours, 46 minutes. So it wasn't my fastest. It was actually like about eight minutes or so off my fastest. But uh, I was going for a slower pace today because I was trying, I was just trying to work on something. And uh, so that's just kind of how it came to be. I felt better at the end of this one than any other marathon I've done. So even though I ran slower, I felt really good about it. Nice, man. And yeah, that was my day. And now uh, I'm going to earn a couple more beers tonight, I think. Thanks for tuning in, folks, to episode 69. I think that we, uh, I know we, geez, there was a lot to talk about today. And I, I know we got some Canucks stuff in there. I think a lot of Canucks fans, though, today after those two games against the Jets were just like, ugh, roll me over, I'm done. Like, how many more games against the Jets? So lots of stuff around the league to talk about. I, I really like talking about the, the drafting and the officiating. So those are two things that have been bothering me. But, uh, yeah, yeah, fun, fun episode there. We even got into some home run derbies. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anytime you can, uh, you know, shoehorn a little Mark McGuire slash Sammy Sosa talk combined with some Bobby the Brain Heenan talk, you know you've had a pretty good episode, I gotta say. I remember as well, when I first started following baseball, McGuire was part of the Bash Brothers, and that, that A's team was crazy. That's another 30 for 30 I watched recently was the uh, the Earthquake World Series. Highly recommend that one as well. I, I'm, I've got Apple TV, and for the longest time, they didn't have the docks on there, and now they've redone it, so now they have all the docks. Um, and that was the first one I watched, but that was the Earthquake one, because, I mean, it's just... It was so crazy. Like two teams from San Francisco in a World Series, and the earthquake happens a minute before the World Series starts. Like that's just crazy. Yeah, I, I still remember seeing the footage, uh, like of the news broad, or I guess it's the game broadcast, and all of a sudden, like you see, like the lights go out, and then when they come back on, like everything's in shambles. Yeah. And the broadcasts were like, I think we just had an earthquake, and yeah, it was pretty crazy. Yeah, well, yeah, I, they were probably still in shock, right? Yeah, that was that was a cool one too. So. Um, yeah, I'm just glad that they got them all accessible now on the the, uh, the 30 for 30s on TSN's app. So I'm going to be diving into that more. There's lots of good sports stuff out there right now. The new season of Drive to Survive just came out on Netflix as well, which uh, if anyone out there, even if you're not an F1 fan, if you're just a fan of sports, or even if you're not a fan of sports, well, if you're listening to this, you're hopefully a fan of sports. Uh, a great series as well. Highly, highly recommend Drive to Survive. 
Yeah, I still need to get into that. I still haven't watched that yet. It's a, it's a good one, Doug. I'm telling you. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore gas. This track is going to go onto the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist. That is on Spotify. Be sure to give that a listen as well. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Canucks Speak. Be sure to give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. And as always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego.